This episode of Super Pulp Science has been brought to you by Infinite Universe, Infinite where you Universe. can see it. You can see a preview for it at radcallcomics.wordpress.com and buy it for the first time at FanQuest 2018. But like not maybe this time. We're pretty sure. Yeah, it's, it's not even happen. hopefully. We're in <laughs> a pretty sure moment now. Yeah. <laughs> Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. Welcome back to Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm your host, Stephen Call, with my long-suffering co-host, Lyndon Radchanka. Hi, guys. <laughs> We're here with two prolific Winnipeg comic artists and artists the like. Um, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Gregory Kaminchak. It's good to be here. And I'm Justin Curry. Thanks for having me, guys. We wandered in off the street. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks guys. for coming down to the studio so early. We uh, not normally here this early, but we spend some time here, so you know we would have crossed paths eventually. Well, um, <laughs> it feels good to be in the mirror universe, where uh, you know evil runs the studio. It's uh, back in our own universe. We have our own studio and our own podcast. So thanks for. Oh, interesting. Letting us through the mirror darkly. It's weird how these things work out. Yeah. <laughs> Strange but true. Oh. You have a Dan as well, I see. <laughs> no, here his name is Nad. <laughs> All right. So you guys, Mirror Universing, you have a new book, right? We, we've got a, a, I wouldn't call it a book yet. It's getting there, though. Soon to be published. So, new book. Dun, yes. dun, dun. And you accosted me in the street recently. Correct. What's happening? Tell uh, our dear listeners what happened. We were on. making plans to officially pull the trigger and print the book. Yeah, you dun, you managed dun, to dun. catch us while we were in discussions with a printer, yes. which is something that people use when they want to self-publish a book without a publisher. Setting the fabled print deadline as uh, super important. Uh, yeah, 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 and uh, scared the the bejesus out of me. But at the same time, gave me a bit of a softer landing. Gave me about an extra week and a half where. I'll be able to really finish the book um, or hammer out the final details, I guess. Yeah, when, yeah. We had when we'd first approached them, they'd quoted us a specific day in the middle of May. And when we went and had our meeting, we kind of expressed some concerns about the tightness of how close we would be cutting that deadline. And he looked I bet they have that conversation often. Yeah, I'm sure they work this in somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I believe they do. Because every time we've had to extend a deadline, they're not super surprised by it. Yeah, so... Are you suggesting that you've had to move your deadlines more than once, Justin? Mm, not like, well, not like last minute, but a month ahead of time, I'm like, maybe a couple days after. Oh, glass but, shattered. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some, some calendar consulting. I in think the next a month notice is a pretty respectable amount of notice that's usually what happens i think when people are talking about panicking and changing the deadline it's usually the day before that's yeah, bad no yeah that's like bad when news. we we spoke to him on the phone a while back and that was one of my questions was like what happens if we set a print deadline and and it just through catastrophic circumstances we can't make it like are you gonna charge us do you have a window when you need to know and he's like oh, just just tell us and just be respectable and tell us with a decent amount of time when you think you're not going to make it and we'll figure it out. So I, I have expected it to be like, no, you're locked in. And, and if you, you don't, we're keeping your money. Yeah, yeah. We'll set a date later where you can pay again. Yeah. You know? are, you, are you guys willing to talk numbers with us a little bit? Yeah, we can talk sure. numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people um, do print on demand stuff when they're 
printing their indie books or they print, you know, a hundred or 200 at a time and call it even. What are you guys doing? 750. You're printing 750 copies. That's a good respectable number. Yeah, it's yeah. a good first time. And how many pages? 64. 64, 64 pages. pages. We yeah. need to sell about a third of our books to make, to recoup the costs, the printing costs. Right. And the rest can be fuel for heating the home or more books. <laughs> more books. Yeah. <laughs> for a bigger run too. That second run. Yep. Which absolutely. Is, yeah. You know, considerably cheaper. Yeah. Because there is a print setup fee that printers have, and we when you bring the book back, they will not have that setup to do anymore, and they will not charge you that money. All right. So different than um, if you had gone the traditional publishing route and had pre-orders through Diamond Books or Diamond Comics, right? You would yeah. know what to print and what numbers to match. But you guys, how did you come upon this 750 number? We originally were going to do 500 and realized that it was quite a bit cheaper to go with the 700 50 route yeah. and decided 750 because we yeah. figured 500 was a nice round number like you know if it sells really well it'll last us a couple shows if it doesn't sell well at all it'll last us a little while longer and uh we're not breaking the bank by doing a thousand two thousand copies and and basically it's i don't know um softer landing in case it doesn't sell and then yes. and go from there we when you're saying 750 is cheaper you mean cost per unit yeah yes. so we we approached the printer yeah. and we quoted them four prices uh 500 750 1000 and 1250 and they gave us cost per unit books um back for it mm -hmm. and uh we'd initially hoped for 500 and the books came out to being you know eight dollars to print a book um when we moved down to 750 they became just under six dollars to print a book and then I Huge, think yeah. by the time we were going to a thousand and twelve fifty, the the returns were getting smaller. So um, and and obviously the cost was getting larger. Did so, you find yourself slipping into that trap of oh, if we printed two thousand, no, it'd be like Which, yeah, I don't know book. if you guys realize how responsible you're being with this because most times when we have this conversation, somebody mm -hmm. planned on printing. 500 and ends up printing 3,000 because the price per unit got so great but that, at 3,000. And we've had this <laughs> private con consultation with dozens and dozens of people. and we So we looked at that, but I think our, our first concern was, are we going to sell 3,000 copies of our book? Well, and you got <laughs> and also, and then it just gets more expensive still. You're still shelling out because ordering more books is not reducing your total cost. The total no, cost no. is still going up. <laughs> yeah. But that yeah. price per unit gets So better. we would have ended up spending... <laughs> and, and I think you... And I'm no business person, but like when someone thinks like that, they're probably thinking about profit in the wrong way because it's like, well, if I spend less on it, I'm going to make more in the long run. But it's a matter of a couple dollars. And if you're going to sell the book for the same price, regardless of how many you print, it, it's still going to work out for you in the end to do a smaller run at first. And... Mm -hmm. Especially if you're just yeah. trying to test the market. Yeah. Better exactly. not yeah. Yeah. You don't exactly know what you have on your hands yet. Right. And like you guys said, even if uh, you only need to sell third and then you're yep. in the clear, anything after that. Bonus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you should also sort Last of build time. into your costs at least somewhere between 25 and 50 copies of that 750 run as yeah. ones that you're going to give to stores, you're going to give to mm -hmm. reviewers, you're going to give to people who have never heard of you, right? Like if you're going to build up a relationship one-on-one -on -one with some shops as yep. you're at all these shows. Yep. The only way you're going to do that if they've never heard of you is give them a book. Also, yeah. part of the process that I've learned recently is the you have to allocate two copies for legal deposit, Yes, which is something that we haven't talked about on our show you, before. And you mentioned <laughs> that. I don't really know what that is. Yes, so I don't... I'm 
maybe maybe our guests can describe what legal deposit is a little bit clearer. As far as I understand, do you have legal deposit where you're from? We have legal deposit in our um, alternate universe. Yes, we do. And how would you describe what legal deposit is? Uh, Basically, you're giving two copies to the government to say this book exists and it's a real thing. And why two? Um, I'm pretty sure because whoever's at the top of the pyramid takes one and puts it in their private library. And the other one goes into storage in a giant warehouse, not unlike the warehouse from Indiana Jones. Oh, top men. According to the email that I got this morning from people talking about legal deposit, one copy goes into the records and another one they keep on file for consultation. Clearly things work differently in your universe. Okay. That belongs in a museum. So do you. Dear listeners, one of the reasons why I thought it would be a good idea to uh, reverse uh, mirror universe this episode is because the impossible has happened. People who started out just with an idea now, right, are publishing their own books. That's us. I think that's us. Yeah. Yeah. And lots of people, like hundreds of people, a month come to us in our lives and say i have an idea for a book right and it's only in a very small number of universes did those ideas become books so i think you should be proud of yourself no matter how it turns out mm-hmm. no matter how many of those stay in your garage forever right <laughs> well that get, i'm gonna have to get a garage that's something i think about often like in high school and university there was there's always p pe- and like like a lot of people i know who who said this have published books but like there's a lot of people who go oh, i'm gonna work on my graphic novel i'm gonna work on my graphic novel and and then they get into something else and, and they don't end up doing it and that, that's fine i was always someone who avoided saying that i always wanted to do it but i i was just like oh, i don't think i'd have time for that or that's not going to make me money right away so i'm just very happy and surprised that we actually decided to do this and we're actually finishing it not that i'm worried i'd never finish something but like I never saw myself doing this, but also in wow, how much, sense. how much extra stuff have we had to learn how to do yeah. to make this book? It's not, yeah. it's not write a script and make some art pages. Mm-hmm. There is so much more that goes into it. Well, wait till you read the book. Every page I've learned a new hotkey or a new <laughs> thing in Photoshop. And it's like, well, that looks way better now or figured out how to work my brush weights better and stuff. But yeah. Yeah. Just like from things like lettering, things like pro- production getting your your skew numbers doing your production work talking to your yeah. printers there's building a website there's yeah. there's so much else that you have to do if you want to make a book and and get it out into the world yeah now do you feel better right so when what is it that you always say to people when they say to you justin hey i have an idea for a book i usually ask what they've finished so far right and so you guys have that answer now yeah and actually right? we keep coming back to that we keep saying no, we have to finish this because no one's going to take us seriously if we don't finish it. That's kind of true. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent true. You're only every... as good as your last work. Well, that was that was something that that kept freaking me out as as the deadline gets closer and closer. Whenever you like read an interview with like a writer or an artist or something like that, or or a publisher, one of the first things they say is, "Well, can you hit a deadline?" Or or the, hitting the deadline is better. Like I always, I watch this interview with Todd McFarlane on on YouTube all the time uh, from complex news called blueprint and that's something he says is like you could be terrible you could be mediocre but if you hit that deadline they're probably gonna hire you before the guy who's amazing with one page so deadlines matter yeah Mm -hmm. now you also had a good uh, I think they had a good point that they made earlier that even if it makes you no money 
at the beginning. And I think what's true that people have to accept of their first book is it's very likely not to make you very much money, mm-hmm. but it will take you to the next thing. Yeah. It's the thing that gets you to the it's next place. It's still a finished book. Right. Yeah. It's not a finished like poster or a finished postcard. It's, it's a book. It's 64 pages that we put our blood and sweat into. And whether people like it or not, whether it reads well or not, it's still finished. It's a still passport, yeah. I yeah. feel, into a number of different um, conversations that you wouldn't have without it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, right? work is going to come from having something done. Now, you've already gotten work out of starting this book, didn't you? I found a little bit of side work. Yeah. yeah. Not making my own work, but right. in helping other people bring their work to life. Yeah. Because you've been lettering this infinite universe. I've been, I learned to letter this infinite universe. And Steve, unfortunately, got to see what, hap- what it looked like before I learned to letter. Hmm. And then, yeah, he's laughing. No, well, like <laughs> I went into what, what I love is I went, we went into this. With him being the writer and also a full-time law student um, and me being the artist. And I just originally thought that meant I'm going to pencil it, ink it, color it, letter it, and like uh, compile it into like one file. And then uh, he just like learned all this stuff. And then all of a sudden he's a letterer. Just like idle yeah. hands. Idle yeah. hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Devils. Because he'd be like, I don't know if I can finish this book and do all of that at the same yeah. time. He's like, I'll try and learn it. And, and he did. And yeah. And yeah. So now I've had a couple projects. One I just finished up this past week where people have decided that the lettering looks well enough that they're willing to give me money for it which I'm going to turn around and use to print our book. Nice. So is this a thing you could see doing for lots of other people? Lettering? Yeah. Whoever wants it, done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, what, have you lear- what have you guys learned about working together that you didn't know at the start? That we work really well together. That's good. There, yeah. yeah. Like you read some horror stories on the internet about collaborative couples who do not get along well or do not take criticism well or do take direction and can't bounce things back and forth and luckily we're not those people um kind of going in i had read a lot of interviews from pro professional comic writers and kind of one of the big takeaways i got was keep your artist happy (laughs) are you happy oh yeah yeah (laughs) justin are you happy I'm okay. I'm suffering. I've settled. Suffering. (laughs) I don't know. Like he's accepted it. See, we're like the old married couple of comics creators right here, giving the young couple on their honeymoon a little bit of advice, (laughs) right? You got to spice things up once in a while, or it gets stale. But I mean, like it's there are days where I'll I'll be like, hey, Steve, look at look at this thing that I spend a couple hours doing. He'll go. And five days, five days later, I'll I be like, know. yeah, yeah, it won't even be direct. It'll be a couple days later. And you're like, I don't, I don't think that's really us, man. I think we, we need to go back to the drawing board on this. I give them very <laughs> soft landings though. It's like, yeah, looks great, but it's maybe not fitting with the aesthetic of the yep. book. We but a, like we had those conversations. This yeah. Weekend. Yeah. But not that it's not workable. Yeah. Like, uh, we, I don't know. I, I think one thing. It's obvious, I think, but maybe some people don't actually have it, is a real mutual respect between the two mm-hmm. and a respect for each other's opinion um, because, like, you have to be able to call each other on stuff and you have to be able to, like, be able to take that criticism. Like, even if it's in an area where you happen to be the expert, 
and the other person doesn't actually uh, maybe doesn't have like the years of skill in that area. But if they see something and I think that that means more is if someone who's um, maybe not as experienced in an area sees something and goes, that doesn't look right. Absolutely. Uh, or, or something like that. Then you can go, okay, well, that means to everybody that's going to read wrong. And you just have to take that as like, okay, that's something I have to correct, not that's something somebody's shoving in my face. And we've, you know? we've had moments like that between us, like both going both ways. So like I, I have mm -hmm. a degree in English and I've put in stuff in the script and you'll come back and you go, I don't, I don't know if that language quite works here. Can you, can you rework this and I'll, you know, take it back and I'll bounce mm -hmm. back to you and you'll say, yeah, no, that works a lot better. But then at the, sa at the same time, you've sent me art and I've gone, you know, I think that this panel looks, looks a little odd. <laughs> that face looks not right. And you'll go, oh yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. There's totally something wrong here. Yeah. And yeah. so it, it goes both ways, which is something that's been very conducive to a working relationship, I like hmm. to think. Do you think that um, part of that scrutiny that you have on each other's work is simply related to that this is the only major project you have happening? Pro probably. I think we're both Because it's the only thing we're really thinking about. Right. Um, Could you handle doing all of this stuff in two more books at the same time? I would love to do this for another two books. <laughs> two more books after or at the same time? At the same time. Oh, at the same time. Uh, I mean, I'll give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You only have so many hours in the day, I guess. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I could, I could figure it out. Yeah, could sure. figure it out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What are you, are you getting a page a day right now? Uh, when, when, I'm, when I'm in momentum, absolutely I am. Um, I tend to, when I, because I work on the weekends, it tends to like cut the momentum. So like I'm a slow start in the week, but then... Yeah, page a day, page and a half when I'm really cruising. So, um, and that's like full color pages um, done. So, I'll have, yeah, I'll have Fridays, Friday evenings where Steve will ship me for like three or four pages and be like, here, go, go letter this, which kills anything else that I'm doing. So right. I'm currently in exam season for school, and if yeah. I, I've had to say to Steve, Steve can't send me anything this week. I don't, I don't want to see it because if I get it. It's what is gonna. It's gonna pull me away from whatever I'm supposed to be doing at the and time. I'm like, thank God. I, I don't wonder have if it there's a venue. deep reflection yeah. you should be doing on, on what you want to do with your future. If yeah, I try the to moment avoid that Steve sends you pages, it's all you want to do. <laughs> I've had that conversation with a few different people, and I just try not to think about it right Maybe now. Maybe you could be the Grisham of graphic novels. Though, no, right? see, Charles Sewell, who's the he writes Daredevil and he writes. Uh, Darth Vader. He's a big. He's a huge Marvel writer. I yeah. think he's got numerous books going at all the time. Also a practicing lawyer in New York. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Practicing. He hasn't got it right yet. <laughs> practicing. Yeah. yeah. But it's the Dare. Like, did you say? Sorry, you work for Daredevil. He works, he works for Marvel. He does. He writes Daredevil. Wow. So the Daredevil lawyer. Yep. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, lawyer yeah. writing a lawyer. <laughs> lawyer writing a lawyer. <laughs> that was yeah. So you write what you know, right? Yeah. Apparently, there was an arc that happened exclusively in the courtroom, which I haven't gotten to yet, but I'm going to read it. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. I haven't read that one either. What would you say is worse? Ignoring data in the interest of cutting costs or neglecting to supply the court with records that might prove you purposely put people in danger, including Your this Honor. young man, including this young man, Aaron James, Your who Honor. might never walk again. Your Honor, we would like a recess. No need, I'm done. I think he is too. We were uh, nerding out over uh, Headlopper so before good. you arrived, dear listeners. <laughs> Um, if you have not looked at Headlopper, it's one of those books that when you hear the title Headlopper, you say to yourself, come on, really? Sounds violent. Yeah. Well, it is violent, but it's not violent. It's like cartoony violent. I don't mm. even know how to describe it. Cartoony it's like Adventure violent. Time what's, with what's adventure that? Adventure more time blood and gore. Mike Mignola by way of, 
I don't know, like Robert E. Howard mm-hmm. with a little smidgen of, oh, like Maya Angelou on top of it. Yeah. I don't really know. I don't, even it's know like what crazy. It, I don't even know what it is. Like when I first saw it, it's just like, like, I think I was at indigo or something and i saw volume one sitting there and i flipped through it and i'm like i'm buying this like it's so good and now you create cartoon violence yeah <laughs> well and the reason i bring it up is because people hear other people talk about making stuff yeah. right They're like yeah. oh you guys make books that must be so great without remembering that we're also inspired by the things that other people make mm-hmm. and humbled like i'm completely humbled by the work inside of this oh, like yeah. uh you know andrew's work in here is just incredible mm-hmm um, what other work humbles you guys? Uh, anything by Daniel Warren Johnson. Oh, yeah. Uh, he does Extremity, which is an image book. Um, but I first saw him, he did a webcomic where he was two pages a week. Um, not full color, like blue in the background and stuff like that. Called Space Mullet. And it's spacemullet.com. Ha- oh, I know Space Mullet. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. That is a great Yeah. What's the guy's name? I actually don't. Daniel know. Warren Johnson. Yeah, that is a great yeah book. And Another book that has a ridiculous name that's quite fantastic. Yeah, and he he just I don't know like I I have certain people who just inspire the hell out of me, and can I say that? Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, it's your show, and we're just living in it. Just like looking at him, like you can tell he can like bang out a page and like three hours or he can take an entire day to do it and like it's just the just the way he works and his knowledge of perspective he did this crazy mini book called uh i can't remember what it's called but it was a it was a a book a one shot about the a-wing pilot from the i think return of the jedi the one that flies into the, the the bridge of the star star destroyer. Like Wait, he did like a little bootleg story. Well, yeah. I think it, I don't know if it was licensed or not, but yeah, but he it was about that pilot's day, and he wrote it. It was like he woke up with his wife that day, and then it ended. Everybody, oh. you know how it ends, right? By reading it, I don't know. It's just him, and then Ramon Perez. Yeah, like Tale of Sand is just yeah. I mean, I also like to joke that you are emulating um, Mitch Garrett's oh, in, 100%, in our book with all 100%. of our nine panel pages. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, Mitch Garrett is amazing too. But yeah, yeah, like I have multiple books that sit stacked beside my computer, and it's like Paper Girls Volume 1, Tale of Sand, Extremity, um, Headlopper, and then when it's like, oh, how do I do this position? I don't tend to take photos of myself. I like (laughs) flip through these until I find someone who's done a similar position, and, and I'm like, Okay, I kind of get, and then I take a photo of myself and then I do it. Yeah. <laughs> so you use their work as permission, as permission? Yeah, like you look through it and say, "Oh, well, someone oh, else yeah. did it. Yeah, mm-hmm. now I'm going to do it. Oh, someone totally can do it. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Do you think that there'll be a point, or at what point will you be able to push that stack over and say, "I don't need"? I don't know if you should else. ever push that stack. It, the stack should just grow, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever push it over, but like. I don't feel corralled by it mm. or anything like that. It's just, it's it's more inspiration than than anything. Like it gets me excited when I like look at something and then I look back at my own work and it's like knowing I'm on the right track really really helps. But like, it it might be used less as time goes on as my style incrementally solidifies and then I know you know when I when I think of a position or a facial expression like i know 
how to do it. I don't have to worry about like, like, well, this guy does it really well. How does he do it? Right. How does she do it? Um, so there'll probably come a point where I open them less for reference and I open them more for just for inspiration. So I know. have a question. I have, I have my first question. Um, so, so Steve and I are making our first book. And so every problem we run into is the first time we were experiencing this problem. And obviously we try and we would, we would approach these so that we don't have to face the same problems again. As two people who have made numerous books, what problems do you tend to find you still haven't found the answer for or that keep cropping up in different ways? Good question. Okay, you go first, mm. Justin. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always hit a point in the graphic novel where like as much as I've storyboarded or planned it out once you actually start finishing pages it's the story changes right okay. it, it evolves it, it it becomes something different um, I I create and draw like very fluidly like I do I do a rough storyboard but I don't I don't really uh, fine-tune it as much as other people I just get into the final artwork and start pumping out the pages and there's always there's always comes a part around like 60% through the project where I'm not exactly sure what uh, there's there's a chunk missing and I'm not exactly sure what that chunk is and it'll haunt me for a couple days yeah. or a week or two and I'll, I'll work on pages before it and after it um, and I've done this enough times to know that eventually my brain will will finally fire up and figure that part yeah. out um, but almost every book I've done, there's been a couple mystery pages that don't get figured out until later down the line. And I think that's really funny because that just happened to you this week, Stephen, where you said, yeah, I have these, these panels and they're not working out in my head how I want them to work out. And you, you, you sat and you let it yeah. stew for a little bit. Yeah, I, I took And then a, it clicked. Yeah, yeah, it was a six panel page that just... I knew what he was getting across. I could read it, and I was like, I know exactly what's going on. But like, the 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 scale of these beats just didn't work with six panels, and I didn't know how to do it. And now it's a two-panel page. Yeah. So that's yeah. usually what happens. It's yeah. like yeah. this complicated four-page sequence. Yeah. Works with suddenly oh my god more. i can do yeah. this in a double page spread with one image instead yeah. of 12 panels like half the beats yeah. happen all at once in one panel half the beats happen the other because it's a it's a chaotic point in the story and and i'm like okay well i can just make two chaotic panels and yeah Probably well then, that way too. you know it's funny because i was just working on um some baby metal pages and one of the i can't tell uh, i can't talk plot Okay. But I can talk tone. There only was the fox god knows. Only the fox god knows the plot. But the uh, idea was that there was this really tender moment between two characters. And the way it was being um, laid out in the script was sort of eight panels, little beats that showed us these kind of sort of little indications. And the final moment on the page was supposed to be that they, you know, they're friends and they're really leaning on each other and, they, you know, like they trust each other. And I was working it and working it, and same thing, that there was almost too much information. Then I realized that it's the tone, that tone of friendship at the end is all that we're really after. And so I did it as a single splash page. There hadn't been one for a whole bunch in the book up until that, so it was time for one. And I tried to make the mood and the setting and the lighting warm and inviting and friendly in a way that all those other story beats would have led to. I just scrapped those as character moments and made them part of the environment, and that totally changed the scene. 
And I was very pleased that everyone up the chain agreed with that too. Yeah. So that's an answer that steals Justin's answer. Yeah, yeah no, that's just, <laughs> I was expanding yeah. on Justin's answer. What I find the hardest part, the problem that I face over and over in books is that I'll come up with imagery and plot early. Yep. And that gets me really excited to figure out what the story is. And then, well, okay, so I have to sort of explain it in a slightly more esoteric way about what I think creativity is for. And I think that we have these um, moments of inspiration. And those moments of inspiration can lead us to make something, be it a book or a poem or a song or whatever. But the reason those inspirations happen is as kind of um, like a lighthouse light on the shore to warn you about something that your subconscious is processing. You know, creativity is kind of a, a waking dream. Yeah. And so I reach a point where I have to ask myself, if this book is really about this, what are the actual themes? What are the metaphors? What are the narratives that are about me in this book? And then agree or disagree that I'm okay to put those in the real world. So I have a few projects where you know, some real stuff is being processed and just put on display and other projects where they're still in the drawer because I'm definitely not ready for what that book is really about yeah. to be on display, oh, right? And so okay. often I stop work on projects that I'm just not, yeah. um, I don't have the emotional fortitude or the uh, maybe the strength of ego to say, okay, this is a problem with me that I'm going to put on display. This mm -hmm. The thing the character is going to go through and face and deal with is something that I clearly struggle with. Yeah. And am I willing to have, you know, the next 250 hours of creative time? So, to, so the problem you face is whether to let go of that project for the moment? Yeah, for the moment. But sometimes those, those criteria? Sometimes completely. Like, what is it really about? I mean, we can entertain people all day long, but... We have to do the labor, yeah. right? A book can be entertaining, and some people, that they have no trouble doing that. But because uh, creative pursuits are so um, personal, personal mm. that I feel like there's some sort of meditative element to it. And that even though a book might just be about, you know, time travel murder mystery, it can be about something a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had that um, as, as an amateur writer also, where you're, you're working on a project that is intensely personal in in certain respects and my my issues i found as a writer i don't i i don't want things to be super explicit i don't need someone to read something that i've written and go i can see you in this oh totally yeah. i, I yeah. want more subtlety to it i don't want this to be some very clear conflict that i've been having in my life that i found a way to put it out there there has to be a way to mask it somehow yeah, yeah. For sure. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's genres, you know, genres for yeah. genres really talking about your real life, right? In a way that's just sort of fun and silly, like a waking dream with spaceships and with spaceships monsters. or monsters yeah. or sword fights or whatever. But we have all of those things. Yeah. The skies above and the seas below infested by swarms of nightmare creatures, crueler, deadlier than the armored giants of prehistoric eras. Here is a wild headlong flight into terror as the desert erupts with the grim battle for survival. Talk briefly about the duality between good and evil in your book, because you guys sent me... <laughs> talk briefly. Yeah, talk briefly. Talk briefly. Solve this problem. Well, this is why I bring it up. I had seen the first 
15 or so pages. Yep. And then you sent me the next 15 or so pages. And so for the first 15 pages, I felt some real sort of pathos among the characters. And I was like, oh, these explorers and oh, what a team. And oh, they're real humans on this adventure. And then they're suddenly like murdering an alien race in cold blood out of nowhere. Well, well not out of nowhere. It's motivated, but it's talk to me about that. So I, rec- oh, sorry, so I recently revisited The Watchmen, right. which does a very good job of leaving you in a gray area between good and, and bad and the right kinds of good and bad. Um, as you've now read roughly the first half, actually, of our book. If you've read 15 and then 15 and we're 64 minus. Yeah, so roughly the first half of the book. And we'll continue to expand on those points. But the idea behind a lot of it is that our heroes spend a lot of time questioning human, like questioning the like the principle of humanity. So not like humans as a race, but the idea of being humane, right? And whether or not that needs that should extend to other life forms in the universe, or whether it's owed only towards humans as a race, inalienable mm. human rights. And then it, it, it like. I also like to think of it like not just just about uh, humanity, but like I like like we 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 address good and evil in a way that it's it's such a subjective mm-hmm. um, per- perspective based thing. Right. So while there is something that happens in the book where they are slaughtering one uh, creature group of creatures and not another single singular creature um it it, while there is motivation for one it's like there could have been another way to go about it but um i think the point is to see if i can get this out the point is to show off that these while they may be trying to save earth doesn't necessarily mean everybody's a good guy everybody's a bad guy everybody's just kind of out for themselves and so they're just trying to get whatever they're trying to get done. I guess that's rambling, but they're, if you know like, what I mean. They're not, we are not gods. We, they don't, we don't get to choose. We're not the judge, the jury, and the executioner. We don't get to choose who lives and dies. Unless you're the one with the ray gun in your book, apparently. <laughs> right, but this, ray gun, uh, though. <laughs> this, is a, this is a massive swarm of aliens that are about to draw a, like another swarm coming in just when they think they've got it. There's going to be more coming in, and it's that's it's, not written in the book. That's not He's doing that. that's just 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 <laughs> yeah. To, yeah, that's just to illustrate because because the panel I just drew when I finished it, it's like two o'clock in the morning last night. I finished it, I look at him like that's awesome, <laughs> and then I'm like, why would they need to do anything else after this panel? Because it's just explosions and and like just total total one sidedness in the battle, and I'm like. Okay, well, I got to bring it back, and so um, uh, it's just these creatures. This swarm is unrelentingly. Is that a word? Unrelentingly. Unrelenting is a word. Unrelenting and and, and just attacking them without any clear motivation. So they're just trying to uh, survive and escape. Yeah, without without actually questioning the motive of the of the creatures. So, yeah, and then they go back. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. You didn't get that page yet, but it's coming. No, I didn't get that page yet. They're holding out on me, Justin. All right. So what do you have to say about these monsters? These what guys. You, what do you think of good and evil? 
Uh, I well, I always tend to to gravitate towards stories where it's blurred, right? Yep. I think we all kind of grew up, and it was like Care Bears versus No Heart. Like it was very clearly defined: yeah. good guys, bad guys. Beastly. Yeah, <laughs> Shrieky and Beastly. Yeah. We actually have a frame. I said uh, we have a Ghost or uh, Care Bears animation frame. Yeah, we have in the original studio. cell from. Oh, the I Care think Bears it fell down. Studio. But we have a Shrieky and Beastly. Yeah animation cell that I picked up at WonderCon last year. In fact, we um, also have He-Man and Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters and, and Brave Little Toaster. That's right. All with clear good and evil dualities yeah. as part of our past. Down. So maybe we just like living in the gray area because we're sick of having everything so defined. Do you think that was because as toy manufacturers, you needed a good set and a it bad sure set? It is, yeah. Yeah, you needed the Autobots and the Decepticons. You couldn't just get one. Okay, you but why it sells is because that's how kids play too. Yeah, but good also guys and bad good, guys. Good and bad goes all the way back to like biblical times. This is an yeah. enduring us versus thing. them is what it mm-hmm. is. Not really yeah. good or bad. Yeah, us versus them. And that and that would be a better way to describe our book is is us versus them. It's it's eat or be eaten. Yeah, we don't touch on it at th- this line as much in the book, but it is there. Um, the because these are it's a group of enhanced humans looking for a place for humans to go because earth is 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 passing on um but there is a question of they're out they're gone if if they rejoin humanity they're going to be different than everybody else yeah should they even ju- should they even go back to, like ah. they, it's they the schrodinger's cat type thing where it's like they've been out for so long that for all they know, they go back, there's nothing left. And or if they go back, they realize they were villains the whole time. And they're super yeah. enhanced humans. No matter what, they are not like the humans on Earth anymore. They are not the same species. They are titans. I was going to say, can we, <laughs> talk, can we talk about the titan? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, it's your show. Okay. So, so Steve, a couple weeks ago, all he, he sent me a YouTube link and he said, watch this trailer. And that's all it said. Yeah, because it's the plot of your book, basically, right? Yeah, well, roughly. It's the prequel. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the prequel. So, so Steve wouldn't watch the movie. It's out now on, on Netflix. Oh, yeah, now. we it's saw it. the Titan. Yeah. You don't Not need to movie. watch the movie. <laughs> no, you, you can watch like the first 20 minutes and yeah. be okay. Yeah. It's when they keep their... We'll talk, talk about that after. I, but but it, was, yeah. it was this idea that yeah. this, this trailer dropped, let's say, six weeks ago. The movie came out two weeks ago. And Steve sent me this trailer, and I'm like... Netflix scooped us. Like <laughs> there goes our IP. I sat down with my coffee, and I, I just went to YouTube, and it was a new trailer on YouTube, and I hit it. Within seconds, Tom Wilkinson is saying, "You will become enhanced humans," and I was just like, "What the?" And then like to explore <laughs> space, yeah. yeah, to explore space. I don't like this one bit. Not one bit. So yeah. we all have ideas that are in that same space. Right, like yeah, I think this is a common thing. Well, it's an indication you make that a book, humanity's thinking of the same thing at the same yeah, time. Maybe, yeah, maybe, or it, or we're just fresh out of ideas. But <laughs> it's the singer. We say this a lot on this show. It's the singer, not the song. Right, like yeah. even if you took the same plot of the Titan, took the script, and you guys went away and did your version of that book, you could come back to the table, and Justin and I could hand in our version of that book. Yeah, we could title it something different, and it would be mm-hmm. absolutely. Right. They'd I also, yeah, I bet you money that if you look back into sci-fi from like the 40s, 50s, 60s, yeah, there's also a story that's yeah. very similar. You know, like mm-hmm. it's we're Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is basically that. What was that? Right? Uh, did you watch Mystery Science Theater on Netflix? Yeah. 
What was this the space movie on there that's like a blatant ripoff of Star Wars? Oh, with the kids pilot was that? No, with it was like a man and a woman, and it was Christopher Plummer was in it. I can't remember the name, but it was Star Crash, something like that. Yeah, is yeah. that the one? I don't know. And then it was funny thing about that one. What I love was it was blatant ripoff of Star Wars. Totally failed. The guy who scored it, just as a side note, the guy who scored it took that score, put it in the movie Out of Africa, and uh, and won with the, the same music, the same thing. Yeah, didn't like there was an R two D two like exact, just like Something painted like differently. That. Like it was a very clear like robot, two robot, robot like yeah. assistants and yeah. Yeah. So just to, t- to tie this back. Star, Star Crash. Crash. Wow, yeah. they really didn't try. Right. No, they tried. <laughs> they just... As I recall, the story of Star Crash is also they got a cease and desist from Lucas because they had laser swords mm-hmm. in there yeah. as well. Like I remember but that. But there yeah. is a great, okay, there is a great sword fight with a stop motion robo like menace laser sword fight. It's totally worth it. You can just Google that part if, if you're listening, dear listeners, and you want to see a great laser sword fight with a stop motion sort of Harryhausen style monster cool but star do, crash but dear listeners if you're listening do not watch the titan we would like it yeah. to fade into oblivion no, watch now. The, Why watch don't rip on it don't come on <laughs> i'm sure it's a, no i guess we can come on your show and tell you not <laughs> to rip on other people's oh, i feel yeah. like they filmed that movie with a script half written and frantically yeah. tried no, to it looked really cool. i don't want to rip on it but like the, I'm, I'm not going to rip on it i'm not going to be like however um but like it's like it goes really well and then it's like they it's like they got lost because they, they redefined the villain like in consecutive like four scenes. It's like he's the bad guy. Now he's not. She's the bad guy. Now she's not. They're the bad guy. No, yeah, but hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so I'm going to come he's in defense of the Titan here. Well, I'll admit that it wasn't the Sorry, movie the Titan. I hoped it would be. Uh, it started out that way. Yeah, but wait. Yeah. Have we, we don't often see a story where they redefine the villain. Right. And could it not be that somebody in a pitch meeting somewhere with lots of fire and passion said, let's have a story where the villain is redefined a number of times. And on paper, that sounds really great. Right. That's a story I want to hear. I want to see. That's a, it's as a very true as reflection of, of how the world usually works. Right. Who is the yeah. real villain here? And so you can see that now how it's. You know, it's a singer, not the song. A different director. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Different right? director might have done it. or Right, a little differently. Yeah. Like, imagine that movie directed by Terry Gilliam. Or Wes Anderson. Or Wes Anderson. <laughs> Wes Anderson. <laughs> Did right? you see the Honest Trailer for Wes Anderson's movies? No. Oh. You know Honest Trailers? Yeah, yes. yeah. Watch the Wes Anderson one. They go through every movie, and they, they line them up, and like they have not all the same bad. characters, all the same plot points. Everything. It's so funny. So my yeah. question to you, uh, Justin, is when we go back to our universe mm-hmm. and we listen to their version of the podcast, will we have to realize that we don't make enough references to pop culture on our show? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I think I think a lack of pop culture <laughs> references references also means that it's applicable anytime. So if you listen to this podcast in ten or fifteen years, who knows? how accessible the Titan will be to watch. It'll be a cult Still. classic. It'll be a cult yeah. classic yeah. at the time. That's everyone right. will love it. Because everyone will be genetically modified by then. And they'll yeah. be like, oh, what a quaint idea about yeah. how that really was. <laughs> watch or that or we eye. won't be on our planet anymore. <laughs> the way that old science fiction movies all have smoking in them. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Smoking looks so cool on film. It does look cool. Yeah. It also oh, looks like cancer to oh, me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay, so are you going to bring us home, gentlemen? 
Yeah, you, you want to come home? You've been listening no? to Super Pulp Science, <laughs> <laughs> where we talk about where genre gets made. Um, you should try that again. He's going to edit around that. No, no, I'll leave it in. <laughs> this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I am the long-suffering co-host, Lyndon Ruchenko, with my main co-host, Stephen Call. Uh, thank you for joining us, gentlemen. We have been your guests, Gregory Kamichuk. Justin Curry. We can't wait to... Uh, to visit your alternate podcast. Thanks for joining the fight and making comics.